you have to ask less to learn more. You don't do that with multiple choice questions. You don't do that by just surveying people. You do it by observing and listening and thinking and understanding. I am unwilling to give up. That I will start over from scratch as many times as it takes to get where I want to be. I want to be. You just want to make sure you will get knocked down, but just make sure you don't get knocked out. Knocked out. So your only choice should be go focus on what you can control. 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 Hi everyone, and welcome to the Kara Golden Show. Join me each week for inspiring conversations with some of the world's greatest leaders. We'll talk with founders, entrepreneurs, CEOs, and really some of the most interesting people of our time. Can't wait to get started. Let's go. Let's go. Hi, everyone. It's Kara Golden from The Kara Golden Show, and I'm so excited to have my next guest here. We have Rob Markey, who is a partner at Bain & Company, and while I'm sure we will chat about Bain and Company. What I was most interested in was talking to uh, him about kind of his baby that he is uh, part of and incubated inside of Bain, which is Net Promoter Systems. So we'll uh, get into that and talk much more about that. But he is uh, just this incredible leader who has really focused in on customer strategy, which I know that all of us as uh, as leaders or want to be leaders, it's it's really focusing in on the customer and and understanding what the customer is thinking about things. I mean, this is what uh, Rob has just really been. I mean, that's what Rob loves to do. So I, I think that that was the the key thing that I really wanted to jump in and dive in a little bit more. What I also think is is fascinating, I mean, Rob, after Harvard Business School, just um, jumped in and, and to Bain and has, able to, has been able to just really, um, you know, grow his career overall, again, focusing on what he loves doing. And uh, he leads the, it's called the NPS Loyalty Forum, uh, which is a group of approximately 35 senior executives from so many companies that are focused on loyalty as well, including American Express and JetBlue and Lego and all those tiny little brands that maybe you might have heard of. So very, very excited uh, to talk more about that. And he's also the co-author of a book called The Ultimate Question 2.0, How Net Promoter Companies Thrive in a Customer-Driven World. So we'll hear more about that. And of course, I'm I'm uh, uh, definitely sharing that you should pick that up. It was a New York Times and Wall Street Journal bestseller, which is super, super great. So let's just jump right in, though, and and just meet Rob and hear a little bit more. So, Rob, super great. Oh, thank you, Kara. Really excited. So you've been at Bain for over 30 years. Crazy, right? Yeah, I'm, I, I forgot to leave. Yeah. <laughs> Did did you know? I mean, did you think that you would be there that long? No way, no way, no way. I, you know, I came to Bain right out of business school, and like probably you know ninety nine percent of the people who go to consulting firms or I banks or whatever, I was pretty concerned, pretty convinced that I would be at Bain for I don't know eighteen twenty four months. I was pretty con- convinced that um, they would figure out that I was a big fake and uh, fire me. <laughs> and, and then I'd go get a real job in a real company. And, uh, 
I just had a lot of fun. I, I had, I enjoyed it so much. Um, it was hard and, and, and long hours, but I just kept look, every couple of years I'd say, you know, am I, do I, do I like and trust the people I'm working with? Yes. Including my clients. Do I feel like I am doing things that are making a big impact in the world? Yes. Do I feel like I'm learning so fast that I can have more impact in the future? Yes. So for me, that equation has been kind of really good the whole way through. I'm still learning today. That's awesome. Well, I, I think that the great thing about doing consulting too, although I've never uh, done it, but I've talked to many friends who have, is that you have lots of access to a lot of different companies and the ability to kind of see what's going on and how people think about things. So I think it's uh, it's an incredible experience and it's it's uh, unique, but exciting to hear about somebody being in a company for, for that long. So it's, uh, it must be, they must be doing something right. Well, I think Kara, it's also, it would be funny if a guy who devoted his entire career to loyalty was job hopping. <laughs> that's a good point, right? Yeah, no, I think that, I think that that is, uh, that's super yeah, very, very relevant point. Absolutely. So when did you really, I mean, I don't know that you like woke up and said, I want to focus on customers now, right? I mean, it wasn't, you, it just sort of came along your journey, right? Well, it was kind of like it, I inherited it or something. My, um, I was thinking about this not too long ago. I was like, why, why did I get in? How did I actually get into this? My grandfather started a meat company in the you know, probably the, the thirties when he, during the depression. Wow. How often have you thought about learning a new language only to be stopped by that memory of yours from the last time you tried to learn a language when it didn't go so well? Okay. Maybe it wasn't a language that you were interested in learning, or perhaps all those poorly written textbooks in your sixth grade class weren't that well written after all. I have a great tip for you. It's called Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program around, available on desktop or app, no matter where you choose to learn it or what platform you choose to learn on, Rosetta Stone works and it truly immerses you in the language you choose to learn, quicker and easier than you ever imagined to. Maybe you're getting ready to travel abroad this summer and you want to learn a bit of Portuguese, let's say, before your trip, Rosetta Stone can help. I know this firsthand as I did just this before traveling to Portugal last year. I learned Portuguese through Rosetta Stone, and by doing so, I not only got a better grasp of the spoken language of Portugal, but it got me very excited for the trip itself before I went. They even have a true accent feature that gives you feedback on your pronunciation as you are learning too. They've got you covered. Rosetta Stone's trusted experts are the real deal. They've been helping people just like you for over 30 years, helping millions of people to learn Spanish, French, Italian, German, Korean, Chinese, Japanese, Dutch, Arabic, Polish, and my favorite, Portuguese. The lessons are five to 10 minutes long and include practical exercises so that you can pick up the language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. No English translations either, so you really learn to speak, listen, and think in the language you are focused on, helping you get the long-term retention you are looking for. And who wouldn't want that? 
Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, the Kara Golden Show listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com slash today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash today today. In today's world, which I will admit can at times seem filled with too much of the wrong information, it's essential to find a good source that truly gets to the heart of what I want to know. I am super excited about our next sponsor as I've been a big fan of their content for some time now. That sponsor is The Washington Post. Their depth on topics from business to tech isn't just impressive, it's essential reading for me. Whether I'm catching up on the latest tech trends or understanding how the day's news truly impacts my family, The Washington Post is my trusted source. Let's talk specifics. Their business and tech coverage, absolutely top-notch. Just imagine having the most insightful articles at your fingertips, including the unparalleled AI reporting from Drew Harwell or the pulse on tech and online culture from Taylor Lorenz. And the best part? You can listen to articles just like you listen to this podcast, making it perfect for your busy lifestyle. I was just reading an article from one of my favorite Washington Post writers, Frances Stead Sellers. She covers entrepreneurs like myself, but also covers other interesting topics, including health, as well as some very interesting books. I also love getting their For You newsletter, which is their roundup of stories tailored just for my interests, right in my inbox every evening. The Washington Post app is Super well done, I think. It makes it incredibly easy to stay up to date and follow my favorite journalists on the go. And if you ever thought that the Washington Post is just about politics, think again. They cover everything under the sun, from climate and culture to crosswords and cooking, providing a world of surprising stories and vital insights. Okay, enough of the love fest that I have for the Washington Post. Here's the deal. Being a listener of the Kara Golden Show has its benefits, and this one is too good to miss. Now is the time to sign up for the Washington Post. Go to WashingtonPost.com slash Kara Golden to subscribe for just 50 cents per week for your first year. That's 80% off their typical offer. So this is truly a steal. Once again, that's WashingtonPost.com backslash Kara Golden to subscribe for just 50 cents per week for your first year. It was a hand cart when he was a kid and, and it turned into a business. And, you know, until the day he died, he ran this meat company and it was a, a supplier to restaurants and hotels and stuff like that. And I worked for him during the summer and saw how he interacted with his customers, how he, when he, when he was short on, um, on, you know, certain products like a steak type or something, how he would allocate what he had based on the relationships that he had with the different restaurants or how he would let one restaurant, um, you know, be a little late on their payments, but another restaurant, he, he would always make pay in cash up front before he did the delivery. 
and um, just talking to him about the business and how he thought about the long-term relationships he had with the restaurant owners and the chefs was sort of foundational. And then it just so happened that my first job after college was a company where the company had kind of invented its market. It was, um, it's called LexisNexis. And, I, and I remember LexisNexis. Yeah, it's, this is back in the 80s before there anybody knew what the internet would become. I'm married to a lawyer. So that was the only, that was the pre-Google, as I say. That's how we got information on companies. Oh, that's right. No, it, before there was a Google, the, in fact, the, the the whole archive of the New York Times was searchable yeah. only on Nexus. But what was interesting was that shortly before I arrived there, they had done a big technology upgrade and they, they viewed themselves as a technology company. I think these days you would, you would talk about them as a publisher, mm-hmm. um, or, you know, media, they didn't think of it that back then it was all technology. And so they'd done this big technology upgrade to make the, uh, searchability like it to, to make it more efficient and faster and so on. But they had applied a technology that was used for searches that only happened infrequently. It came from the IRS and the nature of LexisNexis is that the same data gets searched for by lots of people at the same time because of breaking news or because of the release of a mm-hmm. new Supreme Court decision. And just technology-wise, all of the the data was going over the same wires at the same time, melted, physically melted part of the, the uh, circuit boards and put them out of service for a while, giving their competitor its first real opening into the market. And so that then led to several years of market share loss. And what the, the, the real story underneath this is that um, we were owned by a paper company that was growing at, you know, 3% a year with the economy. We were growing at 15 or 20% a year. And even though we were losing market share hand over fist, the senior leaders of our division were, you know, making big bonuses and, and getting rewarded because they were growing. Like there was no, I was like, how is this possible? You're actually giving up. You've, you've, you've taken a bunch of highly loyal customers, made them disloyal. It kind of ruined your market and you're getting big bonuses. Mm-hmm. And so, um, it just kind of opened me up that when I, when I was in business school and I read this article, by a guy named Fred Reicheld about the importance of customer retention and, and its its financial impact. I was like, yes, yeah, that's what I saw. And so um, I decided I wanted to go work with him. And I got lucky enough to, to get to work with Fred from day one at Bain and uh, never looked back. I, I just have loved every minute of that. That's amazing. Why don't you explain Net Promoter Score for those listening that have not been all that familiar with it. So Net Promoter Score or NPS is something that we developed um, as a way of gauging customer loyalty. And it's just a very, it's, it's like the simplest possible way to get a gauge on whether a customer is likely to stay longer, mm-hmm. uh, buy more and tell their friends and maybe even be lower cost to serve. Well, we, it, it, it actually is just this one question. How likely are you to recommend, say, Hint 
to a friend or a, or a relative or a colleague, it, that gets scored on a zero to 10 scale. The people who give nines and tens tend to be promoters, people who buy more, stay longer, tell their friends. People who give zero to six tend to be what we call detractors. They usually aren't very happy. They uh, are not super loyal. And then the people who are sevens and eights are, are kind of interesting because they are perfectly satisfied. We call them passively satisfied. They're, they're happy with the product. They're happy with the service, but they're not going to go out of their way to buy it. If something else is available at lower cost, or they're not going to drive to three stores if the first store is out of it. Um, sure. And they're certainly not going to put their own personal reputation at risk. And so the net promoter score is the percent of respondents who give you a nine or 10 minus the percent who give you a zero to six. And that score tends to be a good indicator of the loyalty of a customer base. So interesting. And so, so who is like the competitor that's out there to a net promoter? I don't know that anyone's really doing it in the same way. I think you guys just really own it. Yeah, that's, that's so interesting to hear you say that because, um, I kind of lived through this thing where, you know, we, the early versions of net promoter, like the pre pre net promoter things we were doing, we would ask customers a whole battery of questions and we would create a, um, regression model mm-hmm. and we would figure out which questions were, you know, contributed what to the likelihood that a customer would buy more, stay longer, tell their friends, the, the, the lifetime value prediction. And um, we could get more and more precise the more questions we asked. And so back at the beginning, when we first introduced it, the idea was based on this observation that um, Andy Taylor, the, the guy from the founding family of Enterprise Rent-A-Car had, which was the more complex you make these metrics for frontline employees and the rest of the organization, the less likely the organization is to act on that customer feedback. And so his, his perspective was, why don't you just go for radical simplicity, make it really easy. It's going to be a little less precise, but it's going to be a lot more impactful. And so building on their experience, we decided to look for this, you know, what's the one question that you could ask that would get close enough to the high predictive power, but really be inspirational to an organization. And so what NPS replaced back then was two things. It replaced these um, complicated loyalty batteries or indexes. And it also replaced the sort of very simple customer satisfaction or CSAT. And the reason it was more impactful than CSAT or customer satisfaction was because um, ours was built not on the just like, are people satisfied or not? It was built on the idea of some customers become more valuable. They have a higher lifetime value. And if we could figure out how to identify those, then that would be good. And that was that's why we chose to do it that way. So we were identifying that the top end of our scale, the nines and tens tend to be behave very differently than say five out of five on customer satisfaction. Hmm. Um, Cause there's a big difference between being satisfied with something and being enthusiastic or being an advocate of it. 
totally agree. And somebody that's going to actually go out and advocate for your product and share their story and all of those components. Absolutely. So do you think you have to have a direct relationship with the customer, whether it's D to C or your store, or, I mean, obviously you work with somebody like a JetBlue, I guess, I mean, that is direct to consumer that they're selling tickets in that way. But it, it, if you're not actually selling products directly, yeah, you're, you know, yeah, you're probably, it, it, let me make sure I'm, at, I'm answering the right question. You're really talking about if you're selling through distribution. Like if you're selling through, if you're selling insurance through insurance agents or you're selling uh, consumer products through distribute through distributors or through stores. Yeah. Like uh, for example, like as an example, as it relates to Hint, I mean, we have over 50% of our business is direct to consumer. But my mm-hmm. question is when somebody's calling our, you know, customer service line and it doesn't happen often uh, or emailing, it doesn't happen often with an issue. Our biggest complaints come when we're actually selling through the, the, the experience that the consumer's having is through a store. Right. That we actually like, you know, the product is too high up on the shelf. Or, yeah, yeah. and it typically isn't actually about the water that's or the, in or the bottle. Or they don't have the, the flavor in stock right. that I want. Yeah. And, and what I learned in launching my own company was, that it's interesting, like the consumer will write to us about a retailer not having the flavor of our product, or they'll write to us about maybe the price is different than another store down the street. And they think we're actually controlling that. And I, I, I've always thought that that was fascinating. Like, why, why is that? But getting back to the whole NPS score, they'll associate it with the brand. They won't actually associate it with, you know, the distribution point. Well, they I actually care. They may or may not. I mean, it's, it's actually possible that they do associate it with the store, but you gave them an opportunity to give you feedback. And yeah. so they're going to yeah, complain yeah. to you. Yeah. And the truth is you do have some influence over that, even if you don't control it. And whether you like it or not, customers interpret things the way they're going to interpret them. Their experience is through their lens. And, and no matter, you know, it's not fair that, that you, that they hold hint accountable for dirty shelves or for stock that is dusty because the, the store clerks aren't keeping it clean. That's not your fault. It's not fair that it be, it reflect on your brand, but that's how customers behave. And so your question, the question becomes, well, okay, what can I do to influence that? Because it impacts my brand. Should I not sell to that retailer if they're consistently the source of and, and consumer complaints? Should I um, do something to earn more of a right to influence that, that retailer mm-hmm. and, and try and find a way to make it easier for them to present my product in a way that is more favorable for the consumer? In a lot of the work that we do with products that are intermediated or sold through distribution or stores, we spend a lot of energy thinking about the relationship between the brand and the channel, Mm -hmm. the channel and the consumer or the consumer and the channel and the consumer and the brand, this sort of triangle. And it just turns out that in most of those businesses, if the 
the channel partner, the di- distributor, say the store likes your brand and finds you easy to work with and finds that you help their business, you get more shelf space, you get better presentation, you get more attention. They put you, you know, all good things and your share of your category tends to go up. Similarly, if the end um, consumers have good, good experience with the, the store or the distributor, that usually reflects pretty well on your brand. And then finally, if the consumers really like your brand, then that usually is a good thing for your relationship with the distributor. So it's a, it's a, you know, this complex web of relationships and interactions that, um, you need to measure and manage as relationships, not statistics. Yeah. Unfortunately, in certain cases where, uh, shelf space is bought, in every single category, it's not always about the customer, you know, loving what you do. But in instead, what I think what happens is that they'll go to a different store, right? right or they'll right. go and they'll go find what they're looking for. But I think it's it's such an interesting piece. You know, it's interesting to to think about some models, some business models where the oh. brand chooses not to to go through certain stores, even though that gives up significant market share simply because of that type of situation. And I'll give you two examples, one from a long time ago, because I, I I did a lot of work around this. It used to be, I don't know if it's still true, but that brands like Levi's and Nike were very careful about which retailers they would sell through because they did not want to be discounted and they didn't want to be, it used to be that (laughs) Some of your young, your younger listeners aren't going to uh, recognize this as Remember well. But this? There used to be these things called circulars that came out on Thursdays and Sundays in the newspaper, and people would cut out all the the coupons and they would look at for the the big sales for the weekend. And um, Levi's or Nike or whomever didn't want to be the lead, you know, discounted brand because they were trying to maintain their premium. So they would they would refuse to sell through certain retailers if they ended up in those situations. Um, another example is Vanguard, the mutual fund company. They refuse to pay for distribution full stop. Now what that means is um, that the say financial advisors out in the marketplace do not have a sales incentive to place Vanguard mutual funds in the portfolios of the investors. Mm -hmm. And that's a huge disadvantage because every other mutual fund company by and large offers a fee for the initial sale. Hmm. And Vanguard's like, no, we are not doing that period. And you would think, well, boy, that would really hobble your chances of growing in the marketplace. That would be terrible. And Vanguard is now the biggest mutual fund company in the U S so go figure. So interesting. It, 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 it it is a function of thinking through, I mean, they're actually one of the great, um, loyalty leading companies. They have a great value proposition. They have a business model. that's designed perfectly to deliver that. And they are super consistent in everything about their business to deliver amazing experiences to customers at low cost 
with really good performance of the underlying product, the mutual funds. Hmm. So interesting. But then you have categories like the airline industry. I remember, I don't know if you, if American Airlines still does this, but they don't. I know at one point they weren't participating with certain search engines. And, and I think most of them now are part of a search engine because it's what customers do. I think it's really looking at your industry and category and testing it and figuring out what is the answer. I think Maybe a better example would be Southwest, who for the longest time, and I, I don't know if this is true still, but certain, I don't know all the details of, of how, uh, how airline tickets are sold, but there are certain um, platforms, te- technology platforms, distribution platforms in the um, travel industry that Southwest refused to be a part of Yeah, simply because uh, it, it wasn't consistent with their business model. Yeah. And here is another example, very much like Vanguard, of a company that grew very big, very effectively, and very profitably mm-hmm. by bucking the industry trends and, and not bowing to the power of the distribution channels, which is real. Yeah. It's, just, it's a strategic choice. That's a perfect example of, of, cu- of really consistent customer strategy at work. Costco. Costco is another example of a great company with tremendous discipline. Um, they have, you know, they stayed on strategy. They stayed in their, their sort of area and they consistently invest in better and better products at lower and lower prices for their customers. And they pay their associates top dollar for those kinds of positions. They give them health insurance. They do things that, you know, the, Some the, of the other large ones don't. Other ones yeah. do not do, and and still they make more money. So, so interesting. So the net promoter score. So is do you have to be a certain size to actually really appreciate it? And and uh, do you have to have so many um, people participating in order for it to be valid? Well, I think when we first introduced it, we we, we thought a lot about NPS as a score, and. Um, the primary way that we used it was to look, we did, we did market research, double blind. So you had to have a big customer base for us to find your customers in the pop, the consumer population. And we were really looking at, you know, what's the score of hint versus, I don't even know who your competitors are, but versus the, the, the other drinks that are available. And what's the relative net promoter score among the different competitors in that market and then what are their relative growth rates? What kind of price realization do they get? How much do customers really, how much share of their wallet are you getting? And so on. Over time, the net promoter score became far less important at Bain and with our clients than what we call the net promoter system. And the net promoter system takes that score that is, I'm talking about the kind of external research, not conducted by you, but by like a third party research firm. And it actually brings it inside and it forms what I think of as a dialogue between the company and its customers. And so the system can be implemented by anybody because you don't, it does, it's not dependent on statistics and those analytics. It can be enhanced by that, but the basic principle is get feedback from your customers real time look at each individual piece of feedback as it comes in and then treat it like a relationship. A customer gives you feedback that merits follow-up or some kind of dialogue, call them up, talk to them. 
Um, so the customer gives you feedback and says, and, and, the, and the way that it works, it's like, how likely are you to recommend zero to 10? Uh, why? What could we do better? Three questions. If they give you a really low score, that's, a, that's an indication that the relationship is at risk. If they give you a modest or even a high score, but they write all kinds of nasty things in the open-ended comments, relationship at risk. Call them, find out what's going on, apologize, empathize, listen. You can do that if you are a tiny little small business, or it, you can do it at scale if you are the largest of large businesses. Another thing you could learn from a customer, uh, they have an open and unresolved issue. Like they're waiting to hear from you on something or they, they tried to, to do something and it just didn't work on your website. Well, okay. That's another reason to call them up and say, Hey, let me help you figure that out. And then the final reason to call somebody up and talk to them is they basically write you a book. They might, mm -hmm. they might give you a 10, but they have all these, and I'm thinking about it, like if it was hint, you know, I might have all these things like, Hey, I really think that your bottles are, they're, they're too thick. The plastic's too thick. And I think the environment would be better if you made thinner walled bottles. And I actually have an idea about that. And don't, you know, there's this kumquat flavor that I've always wanted to have. And can't you do kumquat or whatever? For all I know, Carrie, you have kumquat. Um, but <laughs> no kumquat. Yeah. So see, there's an idea. Yeah, there you go. But but, but you want to talk to those people because what they're telling you when they write you that book is, I love your brand. I want you to do better. I want to be heard because I personally identify with you. And so it would be, it would almost be irresponsible not to follow up and let them talk to you more and hear what they have to say. Yeah. You know, it's interesting because something that you're, uh, that you're talking about, I mean, Steve Jobs used to say, you know, don't expect the customer to actually answer the question, right? But they'll give you information. They'll give you the story. They'll give you sort of the issues. So there are some customers who drink a lot of hint and we would have those phone calls or those emails that went back and forth. And the response was, I go through a lot of bottles. And so our response was actually not what we were hearing from consumers, but in, but was solving their problem was we created a larger size bottle. And so that actually came out this year, a one liter bottle. And then we also heard from customers that so often they're giving their little kids hint and that they wouldn't finish the bottle. And so they- right, uh, Can we have a smaller size that's can more- Can we have a smaller like, size? Yeah. But so I don't instead, waste what we right. did was, you know, we looked at the market, we looked at juice boxes. And we said that the format kind of works for little kids and mm. versus a bottle. And they're, you know, we're not going to try and get kids off of sugar and try and change what they're used to, right? That that's like I a double that. problem. And so that's instead, what we did insight. was we borrowed equity from mm. that industry. And we, uh, yeah, so we have hint. Well, Boxes. You know, what? this is a really good, ex this really, really good example of something that um, illustrates one of the benefits of the way that we treat the net promoter system. And that is that we, we, we always say you have to ask less to learn more. Mm -hmm. And what I mean by that is that most companies, when they want to do research and they want to learn about what their customers want, 
they kind of get into this mode of saying, well, I want to know about this. Can we add a question on this? What about that? Can we ask them about the, wouldn't they like a better, better? What you did is you listened to them deeply. You, you developed empathy for them and you understood what the underlying need was. Yeah. And then you thought about a lot of different ways of solving that need. And you came up with the one that worked best for your brand. You don't do that with multiple choice questions. You don't do that by just surveying people. You do it by observing and listening and thinking and understanding. Yeah, I totally agree. And it's, it's something that, uh, you know, I, I talk a lot about curiosity and curiosity, curiosity, I think is what makes the best, uh, entrepreneurs, you know, but it's also, I don't, I've, I've always been curious, right? I always sit there and for me, actually getting that customer feedback, I never rely. I, and to your point, uh, I will have people on the team that say, okay, we want to get the answer to this question. Let's ask this. And I said, you know, don't be looking for the customer to actually solve your problem. Tell them, ask them what the problem is, right? And hopefully we'll get a lot of problems because that'll just make the puzzle even more interesting. And we'll be, we'll be saying, well, what if we did it this way, right? And, don't, and we're not going to say, why don't we do it this way and before we actually even launch it? You know, what I always share is like, let's, let's test it. Let's just do it. We don't announce that we're doing it. We just go and do it. We put it, we found a retailer to bring in Hint Kids and we watched people. I mean, we literally went into stores and watched people turn the package around. They saw the Hint brand and turn it around and see, wait, is this the same as the juice box or is this the same? But it was not what consumers actually said that they wanted from us. I think that's the, that, that's the other thing that I love hearing you say is that you went and you observed. Mm-hmm. Too many people think that they can do these things from the comfort of their desk or a conference mm-hmm. room, or that it's going to come to them in a report from some market research firm or their marketing department, or that it is something that they can do through the, the one way mirror of a focus room, focus group room. And none of that is, is true very often. 99% of the time in field, direct observation and querying with curiosity reveals the things that, that other companies don't see and that spark ideas for you about how to meet fundamental customer needs in a way that no one else is doing. And that's how you earn loyalty. That's why, how you become remarkable. That's how you create promoters out of your customers who then sell your product for you. I love that. That is so great. So for businesses that are growing and increasing their customer base as they grow, how do you determine what you should be looking for in your customer base? And talk a little bit more about what you mean, Kara. You've got an audience, they've come in and, you know, you're trying to figure, I guess you're trying to figure out, are they repeat customers? But I mean, do you treat those loyal customers different than I've got an opinion on it, but do you treat them differently than the new customers or do you just care about getting more and more customers in? Right. And there. Yeah. I, I mean, I'm a big believer that, um, 
you should never have a better deal for non-customers or new customers than you have for your existing with, with, I guess I should say not never you, you, with very rare exception, you know, you can, you can incent trial, but what you don't want to do is have, um, essentially an incentive that attracts the, what we call the butterflies instead of the barnacles, mm-hmm. meaning the, the people who are price shoppers or deal shoppers. And you should never do something where your existing customers feel like they're not getting the best deal. Like they're, they're, they're being treated like second class relative to the newcomers. That can be hard when you're trying to grow a business and you want to incent trial and you want to figure out how to get to new populations. But you alluded to this when you said, you know, how do you think about which customers to, to listen to and which ones to go after? And we do a lot of thinking about it was something I, I always call the sweet spot customer. That's the customer who falls at the intersection of, you know, they have a need that I know how to solve really well. They have a propensity to buy what I have to sell. They have a wallet for my category, my products that is big enough to be worth going after. And my ways of delivering, my ways of manufacturing, my way, my supply chain, um, my service delivery is tuned to reaching them effectively and efficiently. Those are the, those are the, the sort of core of the core of the core of your customer base. And then what you'd want to do is say, well, okay, let's suppose that I know who that is and I've got a persona and it looks very much like Kara Gold. Well, now what are the other adjacent, closely adjacent populations of customer types who share an overlapping set of those characteristics, maybe not all, but an overlapping set. And what small changes to my business model would I need to make in order to really hit a home run with them? So I think, you know, it's like focus on narrowly on that sweet spot in order to gain the deep, enduring advocacy, loyalty of that that tight population, and then use that to build out small little tendrils of adjacent customers that then can grow into a bigger, a bigger movement. So let's say that, um, you know, Kara is health conscious and, um, very much, uh, very thoughtful about the amount of sugar that she consumes and she gets a lot of exercise and so on. And there's a mindset that goes with that. And there may be another adjacent set of, uh, of customers who are kind of like that. They're more health aspirational. They don't get as much exercise as they want. Maybe they have small kids like you you were just talking about. Maybe they, uh, tend to live in urban centers instead of in, in suburbs. I don't know. Well, they share some of the characteristics with that, that persona, that Kara Golden persona, and then they have other ones. And so, for example, your idea of doing the, um, the juice box style delivery of, of hint, that may be a great way to tap into that adjacent population because now you're satisfying the needs of their kids while you're also satisfying their needs. Totally. No, I love that. That's awesome. So uh, one other 
Well, two things. First of all, where do people find out more about Net Promoter? Because I'd love to, you know, for those of you who have not uh, seen it, I mean, do you have to be a client of, of Bain to actually be in Net Promoter? Or tell me a little bit more. No. So, um, you know, you, there's this whole variety of resources available at netpromotersystem.com. That's probably the easiest place to find everything. If you can't, if you can't remember that, you can go to robmarkey.com. That's easier. And there are links to everything there. Um, but, but netpromotersystem.com or bain.com will give you a, just a treasure trove of resources on the fundamentals of the net promoter score, the net promoter system, loyal, customer loyalty economics, um, customer experience design, you know, all that kind of, all the kind of stuff that, that, you have to do in order to earn the enduring loyalty of your customers. I love it. And if you're really serious and you want to join like the NPS loyalty forum, or you want to become a part of a, you know, there we, you'll, you'll find resources there, but there's a variety of ways to get much deeper if you're really interested. I love it. And then also, I think that the other thing that is just uh, incredible, um, your story of, you know, when you're working in a large organization and you find something that you're really passionate about, creating a role that you love doing, I think more and more it, it I, I hear it happening and I think it's definitely possible. And so if you're sitting inside your company and maybe you're bored and, you know, go figure out how to go learn, right? And go take on something that is is new and write out that business. Well, and if you, if you want to hear the stories of other people who have done that, yeah, the Net Promoter System podcast, the podcast that you're a guest on, yeah, Kara, is a uh, is actually a great place to hear about people who um, who are like minded, who who really want to get into doing things, great things for customers, and many of them. Uh, coming from different disciplines, you know, sales or operations or even finance and, and kind of finding their way into this world of customer loyalty in big companies and making, making a place for themselves and, uh, and, and making themselves valuable to the shareholders in the firm. I love it. I absolutely love it. So you mentioned uh, robmarkey.com. You can go, where else uh, can people find you? Uh, I, I, I hang out on, uh, occasionally on Twitter, uh, it's RG Markey and, um, you can find me on LinkedIn if you want to find a way to connect somehow. Um, love it. And I loved your article too on, are you undervaluing your customers in, in Harvard business review? So, uh, from, I think it was last year or. Yes, about a year ago. It was, it was January, February, uh, Harvard Business Review. And Great it article. actually is the, it's, it's my latest passion. It's the thing that I, I'm, I'm spending a lot more time on now than Net Promoter actually is, you know, finding ways to um, measure and manage a company through the lens of the value of its customer base, as opposed to just the P&L or the functional budget or the, you know, the product. I love it. It was, uh, it's a great article for those of you who are interested more in hearing from Rob. And uh, that that is a wrap with Rob. We loved it, loved uh, just hearing so much about it. And Net Promoter is just this awesome, incredible thing, but also just a very, you know, entrepreneurial venture with inside of a 
you know, incredible company, Bain, and and more than anything, I just, I love the backstory and I love that, you know, you're doing what you're doing and really focusing on customers every day. So thank you so much for joining us and thanks everybody for coming on and joining us. And we're here every Monday and Wednesday uh, with all kinds of amazing guests for you to learn from. So thanks everyone. Talk to you soon. Before we sign off, I want to talk to you about fear. People like to talk about fearless leaders, but achieving big goals isn't about fearlessness. Successful leaders recognize their fears and decide to deal with them head on in order to move forward. This is where my new book, Undaunted, comes in. This book is designed for anyone who wants to succeed in the face of fear, overcome doubts, and live a little undaunted. Order your copy today at undauntedthebook.com and learn how to look your doubts and doubters in the eye and achieve your dreams. For a limited time, you'll also receive a free case of Hint Water. Do you have a question for me or want to nominate an innovator to Spotlight? Send me a tweet at Kara Golden and let me know. And if you like what you heard, please leave me a review on Apple Podcasts. You can also follow along with me on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn at Kara Golden. Golden. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.